0: The first reading is taken from Matthew 3, 13 to 17, the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is the proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The second reading is Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as King. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went, and Jesus did as he instructed them. They bought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds then answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee.
1: Hello. Good morning. This is strange. Um, so yeah, for those who don't know, my name's Tom, or as my dad calls me, Thomas. Um, I, my parents are sat just over there. So I am. Uh, I worship at Jubilee Church in Solihull, which meets just above the old Argos uh, on the Warwick Road, and I also work for Youth for Christ in Kenilworth, where I lead the centre down there and do schools work and work with the churches down there. Um, for those who don't know, I. Grew up here uh, in this church. This was my church till I was about 18, and then uh, moved to churches for one reason or another. And it was, um, it's really strange to be back and actually speaking here. Um, it's great to be here for Callum's baptism. It's great to be here. I New Callum a few years ago at Oasis Camp we met there. Uh, it's also fantastic to see Paul and Sarah chair here as well, because I don't think I would be stood here, they're going to hate me for this, uh, without, without them uh, and their input into my life as a young person and the copious lifts that Paul gave me in his Porsche, which gave me street cred. Um, and also it's my mum's birthday today as well, so I hope you enjoy this as a birthday present, mum, because this is it. So um, <laughs> I hope you enjoy that. Uh, good. <laughs> Um, I've got two daughters, uh, they're out in kids' work um, at the moment, and I love reading Little Miss and Mr. Men books to them. Uh, they really like them, they really enjoy them. Um, this is Little Miss Lucky and Little Miss Wise. Uh, but I just wonder, It maybe it got me thinking the other day, thinking about Little Miss and Little Mr. Men books, um, just how much they live up to their name. In every book I read, uh, Mr. Bump is always falling over and bumping himself. Mr. Noisy is always noisy. And then the names that they've been given and what they have as their identity is definitely what they do. And uh, what I'd love to do is just hold on to that as we go through what I'm going to say in the next few minutes. Um, and we'll, we'll come back to that. But it's just that idea that they've always got something which describes them and defines them. And actually they always live up to it. But um, today we've heard two readings. I want to talk about the significance in the Bible of baptism, uh, especially what happened at Jesus' baptism. We heard that that Jesus' baptism at the moment of affirmation, uh, at the moment of baptism, God affirmed Jesus with a voice from heaven and the Spirit of God descending like a dove on Jesus. And what I want to do is explore that in the next 20 minutes or so. the words spoken over Jesus here, the immediate reaction of what happened after the baptism of Jesus, and then looking forwards a little bit to what the crowd has said on Palm Sunday, and then finally, I want to offer a challenge to us all about how we respond to all of that. So Matthew chapter 3, we'll start there, verse 13, uh, and to 17. Verse 17, Jesus comes up out of the water. The Spirit of God has descended on him like a dove. It's this picture of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in one place as the voice of the Father speaks and says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my Son whom I love who I am with, with whom I am well pleased. Isaiah chapter 42 um, kind of gives a bit of a picture of, of, of what maybe is happening here and the people would have understood it a bit more in that context where it talks about the suffering servant, which is a really famous passage about the coming servant who is going to save the world. But it's such a significant moment in this life, of, of, in the, the life and ministry of Jesus. It's the moment where God affirms who Jesus is. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And I just think it's interesting to pause here and think, well, actually, God does that with us as well. He speaks to us daily, and he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I am really pleased with you. I love you. I think you're great. I think you're amazing. I think you're fantastic. And it's a constant affirmation of God as he affirms Jesus, and he affirms us as well. But you see, if you fast forward on then a little bit into Matthew chapter 4, Jesus gets led by the Spirit into the desert. There's a whole pan-packing of theology there we can't do in this time. But um, he's, he's led into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasted. So he was hungry, it says. And then in verse 3, it says, The tempter, or the enemy, or Satan, comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God. 40 days earlier, he's just heard the voice of the Father God saying, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And instantly, 40 days later, he gets an an attack saying, if you truly are the Son of God. You see, that reminds me a little bit of Genesis with the the creation story. The Lord God, it says in Genesis chapter 2, took the man and put him in the garden and uh, took him... uh, to work and take care of it. And he says, you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then again, you fast forward just ever so slightly. Now, the serpent or the enemy or Satan was far more crafty than any of the wild animals. And he said to the woman, did God really say you weren't to eat of any tree? And the woman corrects, corrects the enemy. But I just think it's interesting that As soon as we get some kind of affirmation, as soon as Jesus gets the affirmation from God, there's an instant moment of, did God really say? And I think I've experienced that. I lead worship at the church I'm at, I speak um, in, in my job and in the church I'm at as well. And so many times I get this sense that sometimes I stand there and I get that small voice in the back of my head that says, Who are you to do that? Did God really say that you can sing? Did God really say that you could lead worship? Did God really say that you have the authority to, to, to speak his word? Did God really say you're a good youth worker? Did he really? And you have those moments of doubt where you're like, I just, oh, maybe I'm not. And I've seen so many lives of people who have suddenly believed those, I suppose, lies from the enemy of just, well, maybe I'm not good enough then. Maybe I don't do that. Maybe I can't do that. I just think it's important at this point just to look and think, actually, what does God say? God affirms Jesus, and God's going to do the same to us. He says, I love you, I love you, I love you. It says in, it says it, uh, in, um, in the Bible, it says, when, uh, when we get to, to heaven, there'll be a moment of, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, well done. And God is constantly affirming us. In Zechariah, it says God is singing over us. There's there's, there's such a goodness that comes from God, and that's what I want us to hold on to as we look at this next part, that God loves you. And if you take nothing away from today, if you switch off now, hopefully you won't, but if you switch off now, I want you to take away that God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And there's nothing else we can do to make God love us more or love us any less. But you flip on to Matthew 21, and we see today, we celebrate Palm Sunday, we're looking at it today. And it's another affirmation of Jesus. So Jesus comes riding on a donkey, it says, and the crowd are shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means save me, it means um, abundant grace, it means we're looking forward to the day you're going to save to the son of David. That would have had such significant impact because the the, the people at the time would have been expecting a messiah, one who was going to come and free them from the oppressive regime they were under the Romans and all the other oppression that they had at the time. They were looking forward to this Messiah who was coming. And they were celebrating the fact that here he comes. He's riding on a donkey. He's fulfilled the prophecy. This is the king. This is the Messiah. And as we've already heard, already heard Paul say earlier, how did we get from that point to Jesus being crucified on a cross? And in Matthew 27, the crowd, the same crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him, set the robber free and crucify Jesus. How did we get from that point to that point? You see, the crowd were expecting the son of David, the king, the Messiah, the overthrower, the one who was going to set them free. And I just wonder whether they misread what Jesus was actually doing. You see, we can read Matthew 22 right the way through to 26. You can read the start of the week that is known as the Passion or Easter week. And it becomes clearer and clearer that Jesus was not living up. their expectations. Matthew 21, Jesus starts to challenge the religious elite. Matthew 22, he challenges them again, saying that they're to pay to Caesar what is owed to them. Well, that doesn't sound much like the Messiah who was coming to set them free from Rome. You pay pay your taxes to Caesar. You, you, uh, You need to pay him what he's due. Matthew 23, he starts calling the religious elite fools, hypocrites, broods of vipers, Woe to you, he says, you are blind. Quite strong words towards those who maybe were looking forward to a Messiah. In, in verse 55, when he's arrested, he says, I'm not leading a rebellion. Why have you come to me with clubs and swords? Again, well, hang on a second. I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were coming to, to lead us out of this. He then had many false witnesses against him. There was a lie that was a misinterpretation of what he said, which was eventually what he ended up being charged for. And then he gave no reply to the charges. He stood before the Roman governor, and he refuses to answer to the charges. Jesus refuses to answer again. That's not the Messiah. He's standing there with a crowd of people. He could could raise them up to overthrow the governor. We We could do this. But that's not really... What Jesus was there for, in that sense, it wasn't what the crowd were expecting. And then finally, we read the persuasion of the uh, the religious, religious elite to shout, "Crucify him! Crucify him!" And then, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, crowds are walking past, shouting, "Save yourself! If you are the Son of God, and there it is again, if you truly are the Son of God, save yourself! Hosanna yourself! Sozo yourself! Just take yourself off the cross!" Come on, you can do it. You were the one who was coming to save, and look at you now. You see, the expectations of the crowd was not a suffering king. They'd heard about the suffering servant, but not a suffering king. Not the one who was going to come and overthrow everybody. And they turned on him and shouted, save yourself. We've got what God says to Jesus. You are my son. You are my son. And he never stops saying that to Jesus. And then they've got what the crowd says. Hosanna, save us, you're the king, you're the greatest. Actually, you're not quite living up to what I thought you were going to do. You see, there's a challenge to us today. And I think about Palm Sunday and the glory and the praise that we've given to Jesus. We've sung songs. Every Sunday I sing songs of praise and glory to Jesus. And actually I've been drawn to kind of check my own heart today. We celebrate in days like today baptisms, in the times when Jesus is meeting our needs and expectations, when the sun is shining and everything is good. But I just wonder how our outlook on Jesus changes when things get hard, where our expectations of Jesus aren't met. But Jesus, you said you were always going to be with us, and it doesn't feel like you are at the moment. Are we still singing, Hosanna to the Son of David, you're the one who saves us, you're the greatest, you're the king, or are we identifying with the latter part of the crowd? Oh, that's not really what I was expecting, Jesus. Maybe you're not who I thought you was. You see, I wonder whether we all have an expectation of Jesus, an idea of who he is. And I know I love to study what Jesus says. I love to look at the teachings and apply it to my life. But what about when we come across something we see that Jesus says that we think, "Hmm, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that, which we have those times. I've got a book at home called Gagging Jesus, written by a guy called Phil Moore, who looks at all those things that Jesus says that makes people go, actually, can we just maybe pretend Jesus didn't say that? And actually, how do we respond to that? Are there some of us who've maybe created a mold that we'd like Jesus to fit into? And when he doesn't, we become annoyed, turn our backs on him, feel let down, go grumpy. You see, the the crowd had an idea of Jesus, but were not happy when he didn't live up to it. How can we truly seek to follow Jesus, though, and change our expectations of who Jesus is? Well, I think we need to go back to where we started right at the beginning of this. What does God say about Jesus? What does the God-breathed, God-inspired word say about him? What's our expectation of him, and who is he to be? What does God say about Jesus? But do you know what? Who is he doesn't stop there. Because of who he is, impacts who we are or who I am. Because God is love, I am loved. Because Jesus is compassionate, I'm forgiven. Because God is the author and the perfecter of everything, who am I? Well, I'm secure in the knowledge that God's got it all in control. I'm not needing to fit into a mold. what other people think about me either. You see, I have an amazing church. I love my church at Jubilee because there's just such a sense of being encouraged and uplifted. There's an honoring of people. There's an uplifting of people. You just feel like you have a crowd of people around you, a bit like Jesus did, shouting and cheering you on. And actually, It's an encouragement to find other people who are going to do that, who are not going to put pressure on you to be what they want you to be. Mike Pellavachi, who leads Soul Survivor, says that it's really easy to see the dirt in someone, but you need to be the person who finds the gold in them. Can you be the one who can sift through the dirt and go, actually, do you know what? Your life does look a little bit crazy at the moment, but I can see there's such goodness in you. You see, find out what, what Scripture says about Jesus. Jesus is, and what does that mean for us? And we stand on that. He is my Father, so I am a child of God. He is wisdom, so I am completely understood. If God is pure wisdom, then it must mean I'm understood. You see, Callum takes public steps today to say, this is who I am because of what God has done, and we're going to hear about that later as Callum tells us his story. Because of who God is, I am who I am. I don't know if you're a Christian here today, but please don't walk away with an identity like this today, an identity of something that somebody's put on you, an identity maybe you've put on yourself, an identity of, well, I'm always the one who gets it wrong. I'm the clumsy one, I'm the class clown. When I was at school, I used to get called Einstein. That was my nickname, don't know if you ever knew that, but I was called Einstein, uh, because it appeared that I knew everything. Um, Whether that's because I was just always that annoying kid who put their hand up to answer all the questions, I don't know. But the thing is, I then had to try and live up to that name of being Einstein. I had to live up to the name of being clever, even though actually I didn't really know it all, and uh, I didn't really enjoy school all that much in a sense, I suppose, but I ended up having to pretend that I knew everything. Um, which worked in some ways because uh, it meant people thought I was clever. Um, the teachers kind of saw through it. Um, but this is the thing. I put, I put this label on myself that other people have put on me and i would become a Mr. Man. i would become Mr. Einstein. And everything I did was defined by who that was. You see, Jesus defeated the guilt and the shame and the, the identity that we put on ourselves on the cross. He willingly went to the cross... And all of the other rubbish that we carry was taken by Jesus. And he rose again three days later to show that actually there's no longer any power in what the enemy can say to us. Did God really say that you're a child of Him? his? Did God really say that you're understood? Did God really say you're secure? Did God really say that actually? It's just a shame, isn't it, when, you know... God says things, and maybe it's not true. Well, it is true. It is true, and what God says is true. There's a song that I love to sing, and I'd love to have played it, but we're out of time. Um, it's, it's called I Am No Victim. If you want to look it up when you get home, it's by uh, the Bethel um, Church. And there's a, there's a bridge at the end that says, I am who, I, who, who he says I am. He is who he says he is. I'm defined by his promises, and I'm not defined by anything else. So Jesus' baptism, Jesus' baptism was a moment where God spoke over him. This is my son. And I just wonder whether we need to get back to that moment of knowing who Jesus is and allowing that to define who we are and no longer the mold that other people want to put us in and surround ourselves with people who are going to encourage what Jesus says and what Jesus says about us. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you speak a better word than anything else in this world. I thank you that if we can hear your voice through the Bible, through you speaking to us, through other people and the encouragement of them, that if we can hear your affirming voice of who we are because of who Jesus is, then our lives can be walking free. Holy Spirit, I just ask that this morning we would have that sealed on our hearts, that you would allow us to go from this place with a little more about who you are. Father, I pray that as we hear Callum's story, you would continue to speak to us about what you've done in this young man's life and how he's got to this stage now because of who you are and what you've done. Father, we thank you We thank you that we have the ability and the privilege to be able to come and meet together. And I just pray that we would encourage and uplift one another. That there would be times when we would just find in each other a voice that speaks from you. In Jesus' name. Amen.